Welcome to episode 55 of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Pooja Gopal, resident at University of Illinois at Chicago and former RSA Education Committee Chair, speaks with Dr. James Ducharme, President of the International Federation for Emergency Medicine and Clinical Professor of Emergency Medicine at McMaster University. Today, Drs. Gopal and Ducharme discuss crowding of emergency departments. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of AEM RSA podcast. I'm Pooja Gopal, a current PGY3 at University of Illinois at Chicago and the current education chair. Today, I have with me Dr. Ducharme, who is actually giving us a lecture here at AEM Scientific Assembly on crowding of emergency departments. This cannery is trying to tell us our systems are failing. So I'm really excited to have him here today. So Dr. Desharm, can you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, thank you, Pooja. I'm um, a pretty busy uh, person like most people you must talk to. I'm currently the president-elect for the International Federation for Emergency Medicine, so I'm fairly busy with international travel and work. I'm also a clinical professor of emergency medicine at McMaster University in Hamilton in Canada. Wonderful. So we have quite a few questions for you here. So first one is, emergency room crowding is a problem that many emergency departments face. Residents, medical students, we're all familiar with this. So what are some factors that you think contribute to this? You know, it's, it's remarkable when you ask about what are the factors that contribute to this, but the global factors everyone quotes are rising health care costs, insufficient acute care beds, uh, inadequate long-term and alternative level of care beds, and probably if we look at, at North America compared to Europe, lack of home support. If we were to go to Asia or to Europe, we would notice that many elderly patients are taken care of by their families, whereas in North America that is far less the case, so the healthcare system has to take care of those people much more than happens in other countries. Those are the excuses given. They're not what really is the reason for the crowding. The reason for the crowding is self-induced. Uh, the healthcare system has chosen to set itself up to have emergency departments crowded rather than find solutions elsewhere. It seems to have been a solution that pleases the greatest number of people with the people with a lesser political voice having to accept what's going on. So does it feel, does it seem as though the system is failing, or would you say there are other factors playing into this? You know, it, it depends on who you talk to and what perspective you have on the healthcare system. If you are a capitalist living in the United States, the healthcare system is doing just fine. Everybody's making money. The private hospitals are making money. The pharmaceutical industry is making money. It's working really well. Um, if you're a patient who has an acute problem in the emergency department, it doesn't seem to be working so well. Is the system failing? That, again, depends on who you talk to. If you were to look at any EMR that's made that you have to use in the emergency department, the end user, in other words, you, the physician, are not the primary focus of the EMR. It's made for CQI, for administrative data crunching, 
and for billing purposes. Its focus is neither the patient nor the physician. So many systems have physicians who are frustrated with the EMR and frustrated. the patients are frustrated because of wait times, but the administrators and billers are all very happy. If you take a look at the emergency department crowding situation, hospitals, I wouldn't say they're happy, but they're okay with it being crowded. It allows expensive revenue-generating healthcare systems to come into play, like their surgeons, their ophthalmologists, which generates lots of revenue for the hospital. It um, allows the hospital's legal team to be happy, which in North America is incredibly important. If you keep all of your legal nightmares in one place in the hospital, it costs the hospital a whole lot less money to pay for malpractice insurance. You don't have people at risk in the hallways. You don't have people at risk elsewhere. You don't have delays in surgery. It could lead to complaints and decreased patient satisfaction. You have all of your problems in one spot, or relatively so, which makes the lawyers who give this advice almost on a weekly basis very happy that the emergency department is crowded and it's not spilling elsewhere into the hospital. So, again, who you ask is key. There is a X amount of dollars in the healthcare system. There is going to be pinching at some point and cost cutting at some point. Who that impacts is a common decision by many as to who will hurt the most. If we take a look at uh, the American College of Emergency Physicians, they embrace market share as their primary focus because ASAP is a trade organization. It lobbies politically at the federal level. It fights incessantly for its piece of the pie in the market. It's always trying to increase its market share, be it through geriatric emergency departments, uh, independent uh, freestanding emergency departments, urgent care centers. It's constantly trying to increase its market. It has to do that because others are taking away from the emergency market. Trauma centers, stroke centers, cardiac cath centers. Uh, I just read an emergency news this morning about the uh, neurologic emergency department that are eroding away all the acute intensity patients, so the market share has to increase into other areas. Well, when you define yourself by market share and not the type of patients you're going to care for, I believe the mantra at ASAP is anything, anyone, anytime which would be a great quote for Amazon, but not emergency medicine. But that is what we live with, so therefore we haven't defined the specialty. Since we're willing to take anything at any time, then we can't complain when we get anything at any time. It gives us a market share. It gives us revenue. And let's not kid ourselves. As a physician, you're as concerned about the bottom line as any pharmaceutical company. So if your bottom line is really good, your specialty is doing just fine. Really interesting points that you made right there. Um, do you foresee any possible solutions to this problem? Well, there's always solutions. The problem is we aren't talking about solutions. If we were to take a look at healthcare in North America, and I include Canada because that's where I'm from with the United States, $50 billion are going to be spent on biologic agents in the next five years. That's $50 billion more than what's being spent right now in healthcare. And we don't have $50 billion. But no one's asking, what are we not going to spend $50 billion on? No one's saying, why is it that Hong Kong can be ranked number three in the world 
with a longer lifespan at 5% of their GNP, whereas the United States is 37th in the world at 21% of its GNP. It's not about how much money you spend. It's about what you choose to spend it on. In Canada, just like in the United States, we are not a health system. We are an illness system. We take care of disease very, very well. We are very poor at preventing disease. Look at diabetes rates. Look at obesity rates. So we get increasing numbers of people who are ill coming to hospitals. We get increasing number of people who can't be referred to long-term care facilities. But no one's talking about what's cost-effective, which is, how about we not have obesity? How about we take the 40% of people who are obese and change lifestyles so that we don't have that overwhelming amount of obesity? That's much more cost-effective. We'd have far less patients to take care. We'd have far less people who need long-term care facilities. But that would require an integrated healthcare system, which is not present in a lot of countries. It requires someone saying, Lord forbid, what are we not going to spend money on? In North America, it is, I should get everything I need to take care of my health, and I don't care about costs because I have the privilege of getting this health care. Nowhere else in the world do they think like that. Everyone else says, if you go to Britain, for example, you're over 75, you don't qualify for dialysis simply because you're over the age of 75. Can you imagine that statement being made in the United States? So it's a question of what are we going to spend money on? Not what can we do, but what should we do? To change the mindset to have a system that actually is global and integrated and defines limits of what you will spend money on is heresy in the United States. It's something in Canada where although we think much more of the global picture, we still do everything we can for the patient that comes through the door. And there's no one there telling us this person's a certain age or a certain medical illness level and therefore, no, we don't treat them. Society hasn't made that decision any more in Canada than it has in the United States. The Ontario government um, where I live made a statement in 2016 that the budget for dialysis by 2021 will englobe the entire health care budget for the province of Ontario because of the increasing number of elderly people going on to dialysis, and there'll be no money for any other part of health care. Well, of course there's going to be money for health care, which means someone's going to decide in a hazardous, random fashion not to spend money on certain people. But there's no plan. When $50 billion worth of biologics come on the market, somebody's going to get short-shifted. Somebody's not going to get care. Not because there's a plan, but because there's no money. And so what will happen, since the emergency department has been defined for the last four decades as the epicenter access point for health care, it means more people will keep coming to the emergency departments, not because that's where they should be, because there's nowhere else to go. The statement, we are the safety net for the healthcare system, of course, is nonsense. We could be the safety net for the acutely ill and injured as a specialty of emergency medicine. But given that I spend at least an hour of every shift when I work right now taking care of an elderly patient who can't cope 
and I'm trying to get them to find social support structures for them, and they have nothing medically wrong with them, that's not emergency medicine. That's us taking care of a failed health care system that has no plan. That's why we're crowded. Because the system has chosen to make the emergency department the access point with the support of the emergency organizations who wants a market share. How do we change that so that, for example, you have community health centers that have social workers and multidisciplinary care so that the elderly who can't go, go there during the day have systems set in place to take care of them at home and they never have to come to the emergency department? Could you imagine working in your emergency department and not having those patients? But that's what we need to do. No one's bothered to take the time to look at a system that allows us to do that. Any other final thoughts before we end our podcast, Dr. Ducharme? You know, we've been on the front forefront in emergency medicine of so many things in the last 50 years. We have led the way in revolutionary care, in ways of treating patients. Um, given that we are being inundated with a tsunami of the aging population, perhaps it's up to emergency medicine to lead the vanguard for changing and developing a healthcare system so that it doesn't all end up in the emergency department. Wonderful. Some great salient points and something, things that I think everyone will think about now and really reconsider how our system is actually functioning. Um, well, this is the end of our episode with Dr. Ducharme. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.